Welcome to another episode of TechNado. Quick reminder before we get started, I want to give a shout out to our sponsor, ACI Learning, the people behind IT Pro. And a reminder, you can use that code TechNado30 for a discount on your IT Pro membership. I, of course, am one of your hosts, Sophie Goodwin, here to hopefully lead you without uh, too many events through the tech news of this week. And I'm not alone here. Uh, if you've been here before, you know that. I've got Don over here to my left. Don, are you getting into the Christmas spirit yet? I, I am. You know, every, every year... I once a year, I needlessly endanger my life <laughs> by hanging Christmas lights on the house. Huh. And uh, at the at the apex of my, my roof, I know exactly how tall it is. It's 26 feet tall because I have a 26-foot ladder. So I know <laughs> it's exactly that tall. And so every year when I'm, I'm up there on that top rung and I'm putting that top light, I think to myself, you're shaking like a dog passing a peach yeah. seed. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm what? like, you know what? Why didn't I pay somebody to do this? Yeah. And then I'll forget, and next year I'll do it again. And so I, I did that this weekend. We're, we're decorated and, and ready to rock. Wow, I, I truly was not expecting that analogy to come out of your mouth. I can honestly say I don't think I've ever heard that before this moment. So Listen, Justin a, is sitting at home right now going, oh, yeah, that's a good yeah. one. That's, that one. <laughs> that's a classic, that's a, is it? That's a redneck classic right there. Okay, yeah. I'll, I'll add I, it to I, my... I, I nicened it up a little bit, but... Oh, thank you. I appreciate yeah, that. Yeah. He made it G-rated. Yeah, this yeah, is, this right. is going to go on YouTube. Show. We don't. <laughs> I uh, I was as nervous as a cat in a room full of rocking chairs. That's right. Busy as a one-legged one man in a butt-kicking contest. There you go. <laughs> that's that's a new one. The, the rocking chair one I've heard. That's wow. So okay, yeah, and of course we got Daniel here, and that he is uh, solely here to provide us with all of our lovely little yeah, sayings. Yeah, that's from, right. from <laughs> our red, red redneck epithets or whatever. Southern it is. colloquialisms. Yeah. Yes, colloquialisms. That's it. That's there it. you go. All right, well, we, we sound more knowledgeable when you use big words like that. <laughs> <laughs> well, I went to school. I ain't afraid to show you all my learning. <laughs> I'm yeah, the big words, the, the cornucopia, the veritable cornucopia of words at your disposal. We'll, we'll go ahead and jump in, and we'll see how many uh, how many more of those Daniel can get into this episode. But we've got some great uh, news for you this week, as we always do. This first one comes to us from Ars Technica. It says, Gmail's AI-powered spam detection is its biggest security upgrade in years. This sounds to me like it's uh, kind of interesting, but also... AI spam detection. I feel like there's there's probably a lot of room for error there, right? You you would think. I mean, obviously, spam detection is not perfect. We we all get spam, no matter how how advanced the spam filters get, things still get through. And and when I heard about this, my I have a couple of reactions these days. So if I see AI in a headline, immediately I'm like, all right, what what is this BS? And, <laughs> <laughs> you know, how are they trying to push AI on us again? And then because it's Google, I immediately think, okay. How are they trying to use my data against me? <laughs> so, you know, I go into these kind of negative. But in this case, uh, I, I'm glad I looked into it further because what they're trying to do is, is actually really impressive. I don't know if you guys have looked, but like Google's Gmail spam filter is really effective. They do a great job at trimming out most spam. Microsoft 365 does a decent job, but, but Gmail does a better job. But if I go into my spam folder... Usually, if they identify spam and they know it's spam, it gets deleted. I never even see it. It doesn't even show up in the spam filter. It's just gone. Like, if they're certain that it's spam. But I constantly see ones where the subject line, the letters are all, like, in a weird font and bold. Or, you know, the, the words have a zero instead of an O, so they don't look like a word. Mm. The Whoever's writing the spam is intentionally obfuscating the characters by using weird fonts where they can use different symbols that look like letters and, and stuff. You You've probably seen this. And it's hard for a spam filter to catch that because, especially with like the Unicode character set, there's so many different characters out there that can be used. And that's what Google's actually trying to tackle is they've come up with a, a method to use AI to look at these strings and identify whether they're words, even if they're not using letters. So if I write the word open and instead of an O, I do a zero, yeah. like their, their AI algorithm will, will recognize that and say, oh, wait, this is somebody trying to skirt around and, and write the word open without the letter. I'll be really interested in like how is it are, that they are doing that, right? Because if they're just basically, you know, a, a, just a large if statements, if else, if else, if else, if else, if else, if else, and you kind of create a list of, these are some of the common words, but of course then that becomes a cat and mouse game. I feel like it would be more probable that they're trying to teach the AI what a word looks like because that's the problem. The, the AI doesn't know what a word looks like. like we do. it's, it's really interesting when you, when you get into any kind of like programming, you find out really quick that getting a computer to do something that we think is just the easiest thing in the world, it, it's not as easy as it seems when you try to walk through the logic of it. 
take dates, for example, right? I tried to build an amortization table one time. How long will it take me to pay off this debt based off of this percentage rate and this monthly payment? And then as I reduce the principal down to, right? It's, it's simple math basically to make that happen. But to tell the computer, well, how much will I pay off per month? Well, how many months are there? What's a month? How many days are in each month? Oh, they're different. So I've got multiple months. What the hell's a year, right? It doesn't yeah. know these things intuitively. You have to teach it to it. And that gets really complex. So if they're teaching this to learn what a word looks like, I feel like this would be the first step into now we've got a CAPTCHA bypass, right? Because it, it yeah. knows what it should be. It can see it and it understands what that looks like. Now, in, in this case, I, I think this is exactly what AI is designed for. Though. Like using your example, yeah. AI has already been trained on a right. model. So it, it knows what a month is. It knows that there's different days and different months and leap year and, and all that. Like it knows about that stuff. Yeah. Um, and, and it knows that it's impossible to pay off a mortgage. So like <laughs> it, it, would, it would know to have all that information. Uh, in this case, it knows what our words are. Right. And so it can look at these patterns and just say, does this pattern align with a word? And and it doesn't have to be specific words like like you mentioned. It can right. be the whole dictionary because, you know, it's processing power and Google's got plenty of that. Uh, in their initial tests, they're saying that it's 38% more accurate and it has 19% less false positives. So that means they, they got positive outcome out of it. And that's a, those are pretty significant numbers. Um, you know, that it, it sounds promising. Uh, the only negative here, in my opinion, is that it, it's you know Google proprietary, right? It, it's in <laughs> right. Gmail. So if you use Office 365, if you run your own email server, uh, if you run own cloud and the hackers run your email server, then, <laughs> <laughs> then then you can't you can't use this, right? You know, it's it's proprietary to Google. But if Google had the idea, other people will too. And right. to me, this is actually a useful way to leverage AI. I, I wonder if it's going to become the snake eating its tail because we're starting to see. A bunch of uh, you know spam and uh, hacking groups creating phishing emails and things of that nature with AI, mm -hmm. and now we have AI trying to fight AI. Like it's going to be a race to the bottom, right? It's going to yeah. be who, which AI can out AI the other one until the, the, the machine explodes and we all go back to like living in the caves. We, I guess we don't even have to get socially engineered anymore. The computer <laughs> right. is just going to socially engineer itself. Yeah. And we don't write emails. We don't see communications. <laughs> the AI just tells us here is the pure form. <laughs> yeah, I think you're right. The the whole thing you mentioned about how Gmail is actually a lot better already at filtering this stuff out because Gmail is one of the only like I use you know Office three six five you know for some stuff, but I used to be an AOL user and now I'm, I'm Gmail and I love it. And I think I kind of got to the point where I sort of took it for granted because I hardly check the spam fol fil folder because it's so good at filtering out the stuff that is spam yeah. that I don't ever, oh, maybe it got caught by the spam filter. It almost never does. It's it's always so good at it. Um, so I, I kind of have gotten to the point where I take it for granted. Yeah, you know, you missed out uh, in a positive way because <laughs> yeah. in the in the early days of spam filters, we just refer to that folder as our second inbox. Yeah, inbox two. <laughs> <laughs> and so, you know, inbox one, you knew you had to deal with. And then yeah. inbox two, you still had to check every day, but yeah. maybe just not as often. Yeah. yeah, And that's why you'll still see, like, the vestiges of that with, hey, if you don't see the email, check your spam filter. Check yeah. this, that, because, yeah, we might get picked up as that. Yeah, yeah. I, I get password re Password yeah, reset resets, requests yeah. in my junk mail all the time. Yeah. Oh, interesting. Right, because it could be used as a phishing link. Yeah, that's true. Right. Yeah, that's a good point. Well, I mean, if that if this case that this is what they're working on and that it's gonna, you know, what you said is a thirty eight percent already improvement. Improvement. So yeah. I'm looking forward to this because, like I said, I'm already happy with the way that Gmail's handling it. Um, <laughs> just don't use email. Just, no. <laughs> <laughs> they uh, they still have it in testing. Okay. And so it hasn't rolled out to the general public yet, but they'll move it pretty quick. Google's pushing their AI projects forward. Uh, so, yeah, look to see this in the near future. Mm -hmm. This is the one and only time you will hear Don talk positively about AI on the show. So <laughs> go back, record it, take your notes. I'm just kidding. I'm just, I'm just teasing. We'll go ahead and jump into our next one. I don't think this has anything to do with AI, but I, I could be wrong. It is another email-related article, though. This one comes to us from xdadevelopers.com. So you're looking to read the article there's your link microsoft's new outlook client quietly moves your email to the cloud as opposed to causing a ruckus while it does it <laughs> so, so is this a good thing or a bad thing i thought my email was in the cloud Don. well so so this is an interesting one because uh, i think it was a month or two ago that we reported on how microsoft was phasing out the microsoft mail client that's included mm -hmm. by default in windows uh, I, I made some jokes at the time about Outlook Express and Entourage and all these other mail clients they've had over the years. And they've finally decided to just release Microsoft Outlook 
for free for everyone and make it part of the operating system. However, now that the rubber has hit the road and people are getting a chance to look at this client, they're finding out that it's not exactly what Microsoft promised. It's not the full-blown Outlook client that comes with Office 365 or Microsoft Office subscriptions. Instead, this is something that that you could view as being a bit misleading, hmm. right? Not Microsoft. Say I, it ain't so, Don. I know. <laughs> if I were to take an email client running on my own computer, right? So here's, yeah. here's this Microsoft so, Outlook packaged with Windows 11, and yeah, it's running on my computer, and I point it at my email server. Now, whatever my email server happens to be, maybe it's uh, uh, Daniel and I were talking about ProtonMail at one point. Yeah. So maybe I use ProtonMail. Okay. So I point the client at ProtonMail and I start checking my email and, and the email's there. The reasonable assumption is that your email client is connecting directly to that email server and it's downloading it's a, the email. It's using standard old IMAP or whatever. Yeah. yeah. IMAP, POP3, SMTP, you know, the, the, the standard protocols. Yeah. Uh, obviously with security attached to it. Uh, and, you know, this could be AOL, it could be whoever, right? right? That's the assumption we would make. Well, some of the folks over at XDA developers were testing this out, and what they found was that it was really weird because they weren't seeing connections to their mail server. When they looked at their, their TCP connections, hmm. there weren't connections to the mail servers. And then when they started digging into it further, they figured out what happened. When they added their email account to this new version of Outlook, it uploaded that to Microsoft. When you set up the uh, uh, the OTP, the or it yeah. was you know like a MFA connection. Right, right. So when it set up authentication for it, the authentication token was stored in the cloud with Microsoft, and Microsoft was reaching out to their email server, and their client wasn't even storing the emails. Their client is really just rendering the mailbox that's being stored in the cloud with Microsoft. And so, so it's acting as any other like SaaS application. So this new Outlook client, from what they've tested and seen, is effectively a web browser. <laughs> huh. And all this stuff is actually happening in Microsoft. So you might think that you're setting up a direct connection to your mail client when in reality you're giving so a micro ton of stuff to Microsoft, Microsoft on the back end is reaching into your mailbox and that's where the connection is actually happening. Yep. And when you get an email in Proton Mail or whatever mail and it goes to you it's actually going into Microsoft's cloud service. Correct. And then you're accessing it, accessing it through Outlook, the browser. This is this seems weird. Yeah. Now, honestly, I wouldn't have a problem with it if it was fully disclosed. If it was like if yeah. they told you that was happening, right? But instead, you get a, a, a quirky little message. I've seen the screen. I can't yeah, remember yeah. exactly what it says. Like, you know, your data is safer in the cloud. Microsoft is doing blah, yeah. blah, blah. And, and, and they position it as just improving your security. But they don't really mention, like, oh, by the way, we're storing all this stuff you up see, at Don, Microsoft land. Microsoft has the policy of it's better to beg for forgiveness than ask for permission. <laughs> and then once the damage is done, once the milk is spilled, you're not going to try to put it back in the bottle. It's, uh, what are you going to do? This is the world we live in now. Yeah. I guess I'll deal with it, which most people, honestly, that's what they do. So it's funny. Microsoft has kind of been pissing me off here lately. Uh <laughs> I come into work. You know how I told you the other day how I was able to use a different authenticator app to log into yes. Teams? Totally set that up. Everything was cool. And then I come into work the other day and it says, authenticate with your OTP. I said, okay, look at my authenticator, plug it in. It's like, cool. Now use the Microsoft authenticator. Oh. And I went, well, why? <laughs> I just authenticated using an authenticator. It's like, no, no, no. You must use the authenticator from Microsoft. And I looked it up. So, A, I thought, well, there's got to be a way around this. I talked to Nate, and he's like, yeah, we've got ways that we can just use a different authentication because you have a preferred authentication method, mm -hmm. and I can just set you up for that. He goes, huh, you're already set up for that. What? And he, I said, well, come and take a look. And we looked at it. He's like, I feel like this shouldn't be doing this. So I went to dig in a little bit, and I saw there was a bunch of threads on Microsoft from people saying, the phone I used that had the authenticator, it died. How do I get in? I'm the admin for our system. The only mechanism for logging in now is Microsoft's Authenticator. And if I no longer have that, they're like, you have to open a support ticket. And, and pray to Jesus <laughs> that they will let you back in because you can't prove that it's you. It is a single point of failure, huh. at least from yeah. what I was reading. I, if there's other things out there, ladies and gentlemen, that you know of, of getting around that, please drop a comment. I would love <laughs> to hear this. Because I do not want to use them. I've already got an authenticator. I don't need 12 authenticators because you've decided that's the authenticator. So like I said, Microsoft's 
I'm on my shit list right now. <laughs> they're, they're, I'm taking a shovel yeah. to the reindeer stalls for the fill their stocking this year. <laughs> All right. Well, <laughs> add it to the list. That's another one. That's a new one for me. I, I think everything that Daniel has said is, is factually accurate. Uh, <laughs> going back to Outlook. In this case, yeah. the uh, the lesson I think here is don't trust if, Microsoft. <laughs> if you were hoping for the full blown Outlook client to be integrated into Windows for free, that's not happening, right? So what what we're getting might be called Outlook, yeah, but it's it's <laughs> like you got the dollar store version of Outlook. You got Spider Guy <laughs> instead of Spider Man. <laughs> <laughs> that that is the perfect description. Yes, yes. and. You're back- welcome. <laughs> And, and in fact, we won't even refer to it as Outlook anymore. It'll, yeah. it'll be Spider Guy. Spider Guy, yeah. <laughs> so go into Spider Guy. <laughs> so I, oh, I love to go in, like I said before, and look at like the comments and stuff. And I'm curious if you think this has any any merit. Um, somebody had said, oh, they're being sarcastic. You know, I bet it has nothing to do with their astronomical investments in OpenAI and GPT. Having access to substantial amounts of emails couldn't be useful for that at all. Do you mm. think that's maybe an alternate uh, use, maybe, for, for, so for what they're gathering? It's possible, right? So look, look at Google. Uh, I'll, I'll spin it back to Google. <laughs> it's so, always Google's fault. So Gmail is free, right, for right. most people. So you can right. sign up for a free account, and, and they're going to host your email and give you spam filtering, and they do all this stuff for you, right, for free. Yeah. Well, it doesn't cost you money. Right. <laughs> The trade-off is they're going to scan all your email and right. they're going to serve you targeted ads and that's how they make money, right? So they're they're using your email that way and, and they've been doing it for 20 years. Yeah. And I, I forget when I got my Gmail account, but I think it was about 20 years ago. So Is it that old? Uh, it would have been I 2001, got, 2002 when I got mine. I got my Gmail in like 2006 or seven. Okay. So and that that was still when it was invite only. I, I was in the second round of beta invites. Gotcha. So it was it was early on. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But it, either way, like yeah. that's the way they use the email. So I, honestly, you might have sent me the invite. I may have. Yeah, I may have gotten the invite through you. Because we were working together at the time. Yeah. <laughs> back, back in the day. Yeah. Back in my day, you had to get a Gmail account. Required <laughs> invite for but somebody they, was out of there. They've been doing that for 20 years, right? Yeah. So for Microsoft to say, hey, we're going to use this email the same way, I mean, they probably already are with Outlook.com. In fact, I mean, this, yeah. what we've described with this Outlook client is no different than going to Outlook.com and right. setting up your email there. So I, I imagine you're right, Sophie. And, and that comment has merit. Hmm. Yep. Okay, interesting. Okay. All right. That's great. That's I'm not scary at all. Um, I looked up when you guys were talking about, you know, Gmail's start date. Uh, it says the official launch date was April 1st, 2004. So I, if I had to make a prediction, we will probably talk about the 20th anniversary of Gmail. Because it'll be this coming April. That's um, true. That they celebrate 20 years. And I, I don't like know, maybe this is. on. Do what? Yeah, like uh, April Fool's Day. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I think they acknowledged that. They were like, despite the coincidence, it's not a joke. This is, uh, this is not a game. This is real. Yeah. And this, I, I don't know, you, you were talking about in the beta, so maybe the beta was before this. I, this must have been, I guess, the official, like, yeah, everyone's got access. Um, who knows? Don's going to go look and see his oldest email. <laughs> I, I, I could do that, yeah. and that would, that would tell me. That would tell you. Yeah. Well, we don't have time to unpack all of that. But, uh, but yeah, that's my, that's my prediction for, we'll probably talk about that when that comes up, but that won't be till April. So we've, we've got time. We'll go ahead and jump into uh, our next article, and this is part of one of my favorite segments called Don't! Adequate. I, I like getting the little <laughs> nod of approval over here to my left. Uh, so this one comes to us from Tom's Hardware. It says, Windows Update renames every installed printer HP LaserJet Ultra M106, and changes icons, <laughs> forces install of HP Smart App. So, so why, I guess, is my question. All right, th- this is nuts. This is like the biggest <laughs> screw-up possible, and it's right here at the end of the year, so it's like a gift to us for... Uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. uh, last week... I started seeing some people commenting on why is the HP Smart App installed on my machine? I don't have an HP printer. What's going on, right? And when I when I see one person say say something like that, I'm like, whatever. You know, at some point they plugged in an HP printer, it auto installed, and and that's that. But then I started seeing more, and then it started trending on Twitter at, or X, whatever it's called. And, yeah. and then you know, so I, I started seeing more and more of this activity in the various forums and things that I participate in, uh, and then it switched. From not just why is the HP Smart App installed? Why are all of my printers now named HP LaserJet Ultra M101-106? Uh, Don't drink and, in code, ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> <laughs> Don't drink in code. And, and the, the printers still work. Like you can still print right. to it. And if you only had one printer, it wasn't that big of a deal. But if you have multiple printers, you didn't know which one was which anymore. <laughs> right. 
Sometimes their icons changed to the the HP icon. Sometimes they didn't, so you could still figure out your printer. But what a weird problem. And a lot of people initially thought they had been hacked. They thought, like, oh, somebody's oh, yeah. messing with my machine. Right. They've installed HP Smart App. It probably isn't HP Smart App, and so I've, I've, I've been affected. Hmm. Well, it turns out they weren't affected, but there has been a screw-up on Microsoft's side. Something has happened on Microsoft land where a recent update or change or something that they've done on their system is causing Windows machines to, and this is Windows 10 and Windows 11, so all, uh, and all the way back to Windows Server 2012. So all currently supported version of Windows are affected by this, where they can randomly rename all the printers and install the HP Smart App. Uh, if they're not... What a weird thing, though. Like, how did this happen? <laughs> if they're not connected to the Microsoft Store, it doesn't happen. So oh, okay. it's, it's 100% related to the Microsoft Store in the way that it updates Jeez. apps, which on a Windows 11 machine, they force you to set up a Microsoft account, which means yeah. you are connected to the Microsoft Store, even if you never use it. So it, it impacts a lot of people. Now, I have three Windows machines, hmm. uh, and none of them were affected. So I'm not exactly sure what, what triggers this. Uh, my Linux machine and my Mac weren't affected either, coincidentally. Uh, but, <laughs> but talk about just a, a weird one, right? Just such a strange phenomenon. Like... Obviously, there was some odd coding error in how they they built that update, and this is the result of that. You can find some interesting things when you accidentally don't, you know, you forget to put something, or you you accidentally loop it around to the wrong thing, and or call the different function that should have been calling, and now it's going crazy. Yeah, and, and it doesn't break anything per se, so it passed tests and goes cool. Ship it. <laughs> Here's where I get concerned, right? If you remember the old days, right? Windows 95, Windows 98, it came with very few drivers. And so whenever you bought a printer or, or any external device, you yeah. pretty much needed that vendor disk that had right. the driver on it. And if you lost that, you might be able to find the driver on the internet. You might not. People would try and use different drivers. and Well, then that became like a warehouse for uh, malware. Absolutely, right? <laughs> yeah. So then... You fast forwarded a bit to like uh, later in, in Windows 2000 and Windows XP, we started having signed drivers, mm -hmm. right? But you still had the challenge. Like a lot of the drivers weren't built into the system. So you're still having to go out and get these drivers yourself. And then you fast forward to today where we almost never have to download a driver. You plug in a device and Windows handles it for us. Microsoft said, look, we can do this more securely. Vendors can send us the drivers. We test them to make sure they work and they're not infected with malware. And then we safely deliver them to your machines so you don't have to worry about it. Yeah. So then to see a screw-up of this magnitude, all of a sudden you're like, well, I, on one hand, they're doing this, this this favor that we don't have to worry about drivers so much. But on the other hand, how big of a screw-up is this? Yeah, I, I find it interesting that that every one of the printers, like so let's say I got five printers, mm -hmm. and they all get renamed to the same thing, that it allowed for you to name them all the same thing. Yeah. You'd think that the system would go, hey, I can't name that that. This is already here. And that... You know, you have to have copy one, copy two, or whatever sure. the case is, that it would do yeah. that renaming scheme. And that's a throwback to, like, you're used to Linux, Unix-based operations, right. where almost everything's rendered as a file, right. right? So you can't have two files with the same name in the same folder, and, and you'd be prevented from that. But in Windows land, it's not like that. <laughs> and so... It's the Wild West. <laughs> every printer has its own GUID attached to it, and you can give them all the same oh, name. Oh, right, because the, underneath the hood, right, they have a GUID. Yep, and the system's perfectly happy with it. Yeah. And not the user. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> no, no. No, it causes all sorts of chaos yeah. in the old human mind. <laughs> so it does seem like a, at the end of the day, this is, it's obviously inconvenient because well, this is a pain in my butt and I got to go in and, you know, fix it and all my printers are named the same thing and I'm getting confused. But, the, you know, the author of the article did, did specify HP Smart is a genuine app, no malicious intent, um, unless you count the pushing of official HP ink cartridges as malicious, in which case, yeah, it's, it's, it's a malicious app, so you're yeah. in trouble. Um, but other than that, there was no, like, this is not like, a, oh my God, we were compromised, like, panic. This is just like a, this is a really weird mistake that somebody made. Right. How did this happen kind well, of thing? Uh, let's double back because you said, great, now I have to fix it. Do you know how to fix it? Uh, I, I don't personally know. Neither does Microsoft. Because <laughs> right, if you rename them, does it go back and rename <laughs> it, them back? It can, yeah. Oh, that's so, fun. So Microsoft has not fixed this bug yet. Uh, huh. a, as of the recording of this podcast, this is not fixed. Hmm. And so, so you got to basically create like a PowerShell script that queries everything and make sure it's named correctly. What Microsoft is saying is, wait, just wait, we'll fix it, yeah. right? Uh, because right now, if you rename them, it might stick or it might end up 
pushing them back to the HP name. And if you uninstall the HP Smart App, it might reinstall itself because the problem has not actually been fixed. Mm. Fixed. Microsoft is looking into it, and and we shall we shall see. He's yeah. having a conniption over there. Yeah, piss off, Microsoft. <laughs> <laughs> Just get it get it together already. Okay, quit being the way you're being right now because we ain't vibing. <laughs> so it was, uh, it was a great throwing in of a of a word that's come into resurgence recently. I'm surprised you didn't add Riz in there somewhere. Oh. But vibing was a good Vibing's a good coming one. back? Okay. It's, oh, yeah. that's yeah. The past couple of years, that oh. has re-entered people's good vocabulary. Enough. So, good, good job. You're keeping Thanks. up. All, all things old or new again, we're, right? We're proud of you. Yeah. All right. I'm going to do something I regret and ask, what, what does Riz mean? I know the Rizza. Is it related to him? No. Huh? No. no. All right. <laughs> no, it's not. Um, you don't know the not Rizza? The, I'll, I'll Google it. I'll Google <laughs> yeah. it when we come to our break here in a second. Riz is like um, if you have game. So if if you were uh, trying to go on a date with a girl and you go up and talk to her and you're and you're wow, did it hurt when you fell from heaven? That's not a good example, right. but that might be an example right. of wow. You have you have L Riz is what somebody would say, which means you don't have any game. Um, right. Is that short for something? Or? Charisma. It, so supposedly it is, but when yeah. you look at like the the first known use of the word, the guy was like, no, I didn't ever even make the connection of it being connected to charisma. It's just a word I made up. But oh. then All somebody right. was like, well, it makes sense that it would be short for charisma. That right. the, the context. Because right, so charismatic people. As far as I'm concerned, yeah. When I explain it to my dad, I'll say, yeah, it's short for charisma because it's too hard <laughs> to be like, no, somebody just made it up. Yeah. And yeah, there's really you no kids for and your made up words, dad. All words are made up. Because you. <laughs> yeah, you would think like sus is short for suspicious. You would think, right. um, but no, yeah, it's just a made up word. So now you know. We'll make that a recurring segment. There we go. Yeah. Gen Z word of the day. Yeah. <laughs> and Gen- they'll just what they'll do like Gen Z word roulette. Yes, <laughs> just spin the wheel. Yes, and then I have to explain. You have it. to yeah, yeah. explain that. Oh boy, yeah. <laughs> coming up on next week's episode. Yeah, we'll have to we'll have to vet those words though because I don't think I can explain some of those. Yeah. <laughs> on these yeah. I'm going to Urban Dictionary. And yeah, no, no, no absolutely no. not. <laughs> How did this even get on the wheel? <laughs> yeah. We'll uh, we'll work on installing that as a new segment. But in the meantime, we are going to take a short break to collect ourselves but don't worry we'll be back with more security news here on technado wow you get a gift you get a gift you get a gift Join us for the Edutainer's Favorite Things, a live tech gift giveaway where we're giving away the hottest gadgets of the year. Being part of your career journey is the gift that keeps on giving for us, and so we're excited to give you our top gadgets of the year, including a new iPad, a Raspberry Pi, even a free one-year subscription to IT Pro. You have 12 chances to win, so tune in to IT Pro's YouTube channel on 1212 at 2 p.m. so you can win big at ACI Learning. Welcome back to more Technado. Thanks so much for sticking with us through that break. Just a reminder, if you are watching on YouTube, thank you so much for joining us. And we would love to hear your thoughts on the articles we've covered so far down below. Any other stuff you want us to cover in the future or just how you're enjoying the show in general. We'd love it if you dropped a like if you're having a good time. Also, you may have just seen, if my calculations are correct, uh, a little a little teaser for a giveaway that we're going to be doing here in the next week. It's a little uh, Edutainer's Favorite Things giveaway. We each got to pick a fun little device that we like. At, well, I say little. Some of them are not so little. Um, <laughs> and we are going to be giving those away, uh, I believe, on the 12th. That's going to be a live giveaway, December 12th at 2 p.m. And we have the prizes here on the table. You may have noticed... And if you've been watching the last few weeks, they've they've been there. So we've got uh, we've got an iPad over here. We've got uh, I believe there's a drone over on the other side of the table. Fun little uh, Thanos gauntlet. I can't remember the name of it right now. But anyway, I think we also have a Raspberry Pi that's been added to the table this yep, week. Yep, I just added that. I, I had pre-ordered it and hoped it was going to come in in time, and it did. So a Raspberry Pi five. Those are are sold out everywhere. So we're going to give one of those away. Uh, and we got a full set of backdoors and breaches, the tabletop incident response game, which is just a lot of fun. They released a new play mat, so we, we got that in. That'll all be one set that we'll give away. So a lot, a lot of good stuff. Yeah, I just wanted to you know say thanks to ACI because I just got my subscription to the monthly jams and jellies. Yeah. <laughs> Confirm <laughs> that quick. Yes. In, in lieu of a company bonus. Yeah. Yep, yeah. Is it raspberry jam? It's raspberry, <laughs> yeah. I can make my own raspberry pie. There you go. There you go. That's, that's all we can really ask for during this. Bread and jelly. <laughs> <laughs> this is just peanut butter and jelly, but yeah. for kids with peanut allergies. Yeah, that's it. <laughs> that's great. All right. Well, good to know. We're inclusive here at ACI Learning. So join us for that giveaway. We are looking forward to. It's going to be a lot of fun, and it's going to be live. So that'll be a, that'll be a good time. All the edutainers here on this big, lovely couch. What do we call it? A couch booth. Yeah. 
Yeah, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter what you call it. Anyway. Yeah. <laughs> it's the corner booth at this a local diner. This bus bench that we're sitting on. <laughs> Why does Denny's. it smell like vomit? <laughs> <laughs> so yes, that will be next week. But uh, for now, we do have some more articles for you, and I know you're waiting with bated breath to hear about them. So we'll go ahead and jump into this first one. This comes to us from the Hacker News. Logo fail. UEFI vulnerabilities expose devices to stealth malware attacks. And I know that Don and Daniel both are... Uh, are our security gurus here, so I'm, I'm trusting they're going to maybe break this one down for me. Sure, and I'm, I'm curious to hear Daniel's take on it, but over the years, we have heard about, uh, like, BIOS attacks, where somebody can inject malware or just malicious anything into the BIOS of a computer, which makes it almost impossible to detect. The system boots up, the malware is activated before, before even the kernel of your operating system is loaded. So now it's running under the kernel, capable of doing whatever it wants, and even remaining invisible to your anti-malware, antivirus, and other types of, of intrusion detection software. So really advanced, really risky stuff. But mm. historically, it involved the attacker having physical access to your machine or compromising the supply chain. Well, UEFI was designed to fix that. Or not, not specifically UEFI. <laughs> designed to fix malware. <laughs> to make it easier well, for those malware authors. <laughs> to make it more difficult <laughs> by introducing the secure boot feature. So right. secure boot is what's actually supposed to fix this. With secure boot, it says, hey, when UEFI loads a boot image, it needs to be digitally signed. Right. And it needs to be digitally signed by somebody we trust. And if somebody is tampered with that boot image, we'll throw up a red flag. We won't boot it. Right? So now if an attacker tries to compromise our UEFI BIOS, we'll know about it versus the old BIOS where we wouldn't know about it. Now we do. Secure Boot protects us. Well, some security researchers found a way to work around that. When you boot up a computer, there are many times, not always, but many times, where the BIOS is configured to display some kind of boot logo. If you boot up a Dell, you'll usually see the Dell logo, or Asus does different ones. If you have like an Asus Tough motherboard, it'll show that logo. Uh, or, or maybe it's just a generic logo for AMI or Phoenix or whoever made the BIOS that you're using, but they display a logo. And that logo is a simple bitmap file that's stored alongside the UEFI image. Well, that doesn't have to be digitally signed. Because it, it's just an image. What, what, what damage could an image possibly do? Well, some security researchers tested that and found out Quite a bit. They were able to load malware in there and take advantage of bugs in the image renderer. So when the image is being rendered to display on screen, they can have their malicious code be executed. And it's the same effect as introducing malicious BIOS or modifying the uh, UEFI image without it being signed. So they're able to get this to execute. And that that's not a good thing. No, it just goes to show you when marketing and sales get involved... <laughs> they increase your attack surface for no good reason other than brand recognition, right? And, and basically, that's what it boils down to, because what's the purpose of having the Dell logo? Or what's the purpose of having any logo at a boot up other than trying to get people to have brand recognition when they see X, Y, or Z? Then they associate that with something good or something they know. So as they see it down the road, like, give give me a reason, like, why would I need a splash page sure. during you? UEFI boot. All right, so there's definitely brand recognition, but you're going to yeah. have that anyway because the laptop has logos and right. stuff that are on it, right? Or maybe on a desktop. Yeah, but that doesn't that, increase right? your attack surface. <laughs> no, that's true. <laughs> but initially, why they rolled out this feature, because Microsoft was really involved in right. rolling out some of this back in the early days, uh, is they wanted to hide the scary BIOS screen Ooh, from you end mean users. The thing we lived with forever that you, never bothered us. Yeah, you, you'd see the screen. It came up with some software version of AMI yeah. BIOS, blah, blah, blah. Press F1 to go into settings or press delete. Uh, and, yeah. and you'd see it detecting hard drives and I so on. I loved that. <laughs> As an IT person, we do. And, and oftentimes we might want to disable the logo so we can see it. Yeah. Uh, but like Linux does the same thing. Remember how it used to be when you booted Linux, you'd see a thousand lines scroll across all the different services starting and the scripts that were running and all the OKs, hopefully green OKs going down your screen and not yeah. the red ones. Yeah, we don't like this. But when you install Ubuntu today, what do you see? You see an Ubuntu logo. Yeah. And it just sits there while it's booting and it hides all that from the user. So I think that was the original yeah, intent it's, of this. It's the digital hand wave. Just trust us. It, it'll be fine. That things are going well. And, you know, that is, uh, that is you know, resemblant of other things in our lives as well. Just, just trust what's going on. <laughs> you don't need to question or anything like that. We have your best interests at heart. But when it comes back down to it, I think my point is clear, like, what, what, what is one of the things that we tell people that are getting into cybersecurity? One of the very first things that we tell them when it comes to system hardening is reduce your attack surface. 
Turn off services that aren't being used. Don't do things if they're not absolutely necessary because it could be a point of attack that just hasn't been discovered yet or it has been discovered and you don't even realize it and you're therefore not protecting for it. So the easy thing to do is just say, we're not going to do that, right? If I don't need if I don't need SSH, I don't use SSH. I don't turn it on. I don't enable it. I don't make it a thing that is on my system because if I'm not using it, it's really easy for me to forget that it's even there and not do updates for it and not administer that because it's not being used, just sitting there and doing something. If UEFI is an attack vector, we need to reduce that attack surface down and goes back to the simplicity and ease of use versus security. It's almost always that sliding scale of being, yes, you have a, a pretty thing. It doesn't give you heart palpitations when you see text rolling down the screen. Get, get used to it, right? Yeah. Get a helmet. That's how computers work. <laughs> Don't worry about it. Trust the process. If you, if, if you can trust that my logo is fine and everything's working because the logo is up there, then you can trust that the weird text rolling down the screen is just there for not you. Don't worry about it. Wait till the machine boots sure. and then go to work. Now, I think we'll see an outcome from this one because uh, there's some vendors like Apple and, and Microsoft with their Surface yeah. tablets where they make their own BIOS. They, yeah. don't, they don't rely on a third party. They make their own. And so you, you don't see a boot screen. When you boot an Apple, you just see an Apple on the screen and then it goes into the OS. Uh, and they don't have a BIOS screen that you can access at all, right. period. Like you just can't get to it. Um, on a uh, uh, Microsoft Surface tablet, it's not much different. So gotcha. they, they really don't want you going in and messing with BIOS settings. But you, you can't. You can't. don't want you to. Right. But with other vendors, so when you go to Dell and HP and, and all these other manufacturers out there, a lot of them don't write their own BIOS. Mm. Instead, they're licensing it. The two biggest ones are Phoenix. Uh, so Phoenix BIOS is really popular. And AMI, uh, which I always thought was the dumbest name because it's American Megatrends International. It, American International. They, they, yeah. I mean, I guess you can be international if you're like U.S., Canada, and Mexico. That's true. And still be... Technically, you only have to be yeah. between two nations, right? Mm. All right. So if you're, uh, you know, stay out of Europe. But, <laughs> <laughs> but but those are the two big ones. And so you you buy a Dell and Dell manufactures... You can buy a Dell? Right. You can, dude. <laughs> She's, uh, she is very cheap. <laughs> but... Uh, uh, but when you buy these, a, a lot of times they don't even manufacture them. There's there's large companies like Foxconn and Unisys and, and those guys that actually manufacture the devices, and they're using BIOS from these other companies. Right. And so because of that, this particular exploit affects a number of different brands that are out there. So it's got a really wide reach. And so they will be doing patches. They're going to be BIOS updates, which users don't do. Nobody updates their BIOS. So, you know, just realistically, yeah. most people don't even know it's there. Uh, but I suspect this will push people like Dell to say, you know what? Maybe we should start looking into creating our own BIOS for our hardware. Hmm. So are these vulnerabilities that, like, as an end user, could somebody take any action, like, in the meantime to, to protect themselves? Or is it just kind of a wait till something changes? Right. You don't have really a lot. You, you have to wait until the, the BIOS manufacturer issues okay. an, an update okay. to your BIOS, and then you have to apply the update. Yeah. And, and some of these tools, I think, like Lenovo and, and whatnot, they they have systems in place to kind of check and see if there are updates to your BIOS and will okay. say, hey, you need to probably do this. So just you keep know. your stuff updated is really the only That's thing. That's it. Yeah. Okay. It, but even here, the, it, this, this is, is a very, low risk, yeah, right? Yeah. This is a low risk thing. Okay. Um, I mean, it's possible that you you could be false suit to this, get a a rootkit installed into your system because you can download these like firmware stagers where you double click an EXE and it runs and it says, Hey, you got to reboot your system to update your BIOS and it can do it all that way. So this has opened that, that threat vector up. But again, this isn't something people do all the time. And if it's, if it's going to happen, it would probably be far enough down the road that the system vendors would already have a real update for this. Sure. Okay. And, and the attacker would either have to have physical access to your system, right. which is pretty unlikely. So right there, this becomes a very minimal thing. Or they have to have compromised the supply chain. Right. And if they've done that, then when you buy the laptop or desktop or whatever, it's already infected. And they likely are protecting themselves yeah. from an update yeah. as and well. And if it's a supply chain thing, you're screwed anyway. Yeah. Right? Like, you might as well just go off the grid. nothing you can do. Just, yeah. just leave. Yeah. leave it's the all trusted. You just got to wait yeah. to go, here, so here's the thing. 
You're going to laugh. <laughs> but we got compromised. Oh, man. <laughs> what are you going to do? <laughs> Save that for the last article. Yeah, right? <laughs> oh, boy. <laughs> I like when we get little teasers looking ahead at what we're going to talk no about. No big deal. Yeah. Oh, boy. Nothing to see here. Yeah. Oh boy. Well, we're not quite there yet. We have, we have a couple more to go. We'll go ahead and uh, jump into our next one. This one comes to us from Bleeping Computer. Hackers use new Agent Raccoon malware to backdoor U.S. targets. So I'm curious, is this sponsored by Marvel Comics or no? <laughs> <laughs> Might as well be. They, they did say it was sponsored by a nation state, although they didn't yeah. identify which one. It's so Ultron is behind the attack. Yeah. He's, <laughs> he's covering it. I'm starting to become desensitized to these. We're like, oh, no, it's a nation state. Well, yeah, what's it not? Yeah. I don't know. It's just crazy. But uh, they're saying that this one is targeted at specific systems, but they're not telling us who they're targeted at. Uh, I, from what I read, they don't know yet. They have yet to really have attribution. They okay. have code that's similar, uh, but they're not sure. Because so, you know how these things go. They kind of share stuff around the old dark web. and Yeah, I mean, this one came out of uh, Unit 42. Yes. And we, we've heard from Unit 42 a number Palo of Alto. times. Palo Alto. Palo Alto, yeah. yeah. And what they're saying is, you know, they, they have their systems in networks all over the world. And so when an attack comes out like this, they can look and say, all right, which of our customers are affected? So they have an idea of the types of customers. And they're saying, when we look at the types of customers affected, this looks like a nation state attack, which means, you know, maybe if they're seeing it's military bases yeah. that are being hit or. Well, they're, they're, yeah, because they're looking at, A, the sophistication behind it, and they're looking at the targets that they're going after. Like you said, it could be a military base, it could Utilities. be. Right, that, that kind of stuff, as well as. Um, uh, if it's nation state, they're probably doing something things specifically like espionage. So it it's looking for files related to X, Y, or Z, and uh, uh, trying to exfiltrate data back to uh, certain C two areas or whatever that is known to be for that yeah. reason. So they've said based on the targets they're seeing, they suspect this is a nation state, right. but they don't know which with medium one. confidence. Medium confidence. Yes. Yeah. Well, well, and because out, they probably <laughs> need to do more research and they're they're collecting data. And so that they can confirm that that's where it's going, because it's not out of the realm of possibility yeah. that some random APT is just like, oh, we're just really good at our job. <laughs> <laughs> and why not, you know, grab a bunch of uh, national security things and things that would pertain to a government or organization of that to that ilk and then sell them to nation states? Yeah, I I looked through the the execution mechanism, you know, how it yeah. worked. And I didn't see anything new and exciting there. I saw, you know, it's using the puny code. For the puny code was interesting. I liked that, right? Yeah. As far as like, don't do it. Uh, but the puny code is just a different way in which you can render a URL, which changes it. And if you're doing, I say URL, I mean a domain. Uh, if you're doing any kind of domain filtering, like these are known domains, well, DNS sync hold them or just completely block them with our firewall and proxy servers and all that kind of stuff. It would bypass that because it doesn't fit the 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 actual domain that they know is malicious. Yep, they need uh, some of that Gmail AI to yeah, recognize right, that right. it's a little bit off. If, <laughs> if, if you're not familiar with Punicode, um, as the internet started to expand, a lot of it was developed right here in the U.S. It was built around the Latin alphabet. Yeah, and so DNS domain names were limited to the Latin alphabet, like A through Z and zero through nine, you had those kind of limitations. Well, then you start getting into countries that use the Cyrillic alphabet, and we didn't even have support for those letters. And yeah. so Punicode was one of the earlier ways to work around that, was ways to represent those international characters in a different format. Now now we have support for like UTF-8 and stuff yeah. that, that takes care of it. Uh, but this one's still around, still supported. And so they were able to take their malicious C2 names, their domain names, and just write them in a way that was obfuscated. And it worked. They was able to, to get around some of the detection systems until until people like Palo Alto figured out what was going on. And then they can sinkhole those other yeah. domain names. And, and they get so much information and they're constantly looking for you know, new strands of malware and new, uh, new versions of malware that they have honeypots set up. And that, that's all they're designed to do is to try to see what kind of weird things are happening so that they can identify these things as soon as they become available, right? And yeah. then start to build signatures and uh, things of that nature so we can start defending against them. So and after that, though, it just does all the latest and greatest hits, yeah. right? Gives you remote access, does uh, file upload and download. I think it does um, uh, providing remote access, file upload, and command execution. Yeah. Yep. And the, the distribution mechanism for this one is it's packaged up as a uh, what looks like a Microsoft update. 
Uh, and the, the most common form of it looks like a OneDrive update. And so, you know, you should be getting those through Windows Update normally. You shouldn't be downloading them on your own. But if you get this file that says, you know, this is a patch for OneDrive and you run it, then that's what infects the system. So they're not, not really the greatest job of masking that. Yeah. I, I don't know how they're they're smuggling it in. But. A couple of interesting things that it does do is like it has its own version of like Mimi Cats, which is for... <laughs> okay. Yeah. Are you familiar with Mimi Cats? No. Okay. So Mimi Cats is a tool used by hackers to grab credentials from the system. Okay. Right? It I can, can see being actually grab the NTLM hashes and things of that nature. Uh, but Mimicast is a very well-known tool for doing that. If you have a Windows system, have some fun. Name a file Mimicast and watch your system go, no, 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 no. How do you spell that? M-I-M-I-K-A-T-Z. Okay. Right. Mimicast, right? You, Windows Defender does not like this thing. Huh. So they have created their own version of that. I mean, it's, it's called Mimi Lite. And they've also grabbed another, like a DLL that's used, uh, which is the uh, was it the N2Spy uh, network protocol DLL that it uses, and it's made a mimic of that. So these, this is how they obfuscate and hide. They name things that, and they create their own version, so it's not signatured, and allows them to do those credential grabbing. So they're going to grab all those creds, so they can swift them exfiltrate that information, crack those credentials, and then they start doing credential stuffing. Try to pivot with it. Use all that stuff for their own nefarious purposes. Good times, good yep. times. I'm sorry. I'm just. I'm. I'm having a moment here because I think this is the first and only time ever, and it probably will never happen again, that a word has been said on this podcast that I knew that Don did not, and this is the only time it's ever going to happen. And I have to just sit and take it in for a second. And the only reason I know it is because Daniel taught me what it is. That's the only reason I have yeah. to put that caveat in there. So you've you've we we played, played with Mimi. We played with Mimi cats. That's yeah. the only reason I know what it is. Yeah. Yeah. Because yeah, yeah, we've yeah. done episodes where he's used it before. Otherwise, yeah, I, I would have no, no idea. But when you were like, no, I'm not familiar with that. I was like, <laughs> oh, you can do you can do what's called a skeleton key attack with Mimi cats, which is really fun. Where you run you run the specific command that will allow for the skeleton key, and then it creates. Uh, so it it makes it to where you can log in with the administrator with the password of skeleton or password. I forget what it is off the top of my head now. And yeah, you log in. Like, mm. even though, like, if you are the administrator and you have your own password, that still works too. But so does now the word password. Yeah. Right? And we, we did this mm -hmm. in, uh, I think, CEH. Probably. We, we, we did a demonstration. It's a good bet. We've done everything. Mimi Cats <laughs> is a hell of a tool. It does a lot of fun stuff. So if you've never played with it before, go download it. It's got a GitHub repo. Have fun. Well, there you oh, go. Man. So uh, Agent Raccoon, not really anything breaking and new, but putting stuff together. And uh, it's a it's an attack that has been documented out in the wild right now going on while we speak. <laughs> I do enjoy the little picture of the raccoon they used where he's like posted up in front of his, uh, he's yeah. got his dual monitor set up and looks like a hacker. Is that AI generated? That's maybe? not AI I'm generated. Certain yeah. It's AI generated. Yeah, that, that's our new world. <laughs> What's not? He looks, art, right? uh, he looks angry. Who's got time to do art anymore? And just get yeah. AI to yeah. do it for Yeah, just get the computer to do it for us. Yeah. But, uh, they did that with movies for so long. Why are we so pissed now? That <laughs> I just feel bad for people that are in like the fourth year of their art degree, you know, in yeah. college. And <laughs> it makes me think of uh, Red Letter Media when they're like, this movie is the greatest thing that you can make on your computer. <laughs> I'm like, yes, that is a true statement. Oh boy, what a brave new world. Well, we've come to the moment that we've all been waiting for, the, the article that Don referenced earlier. And this is part of a segment called Who Got Pwned? Looks like you're about to get pwned. Oh, there he is. I like that we throw a little Mortal Kombat soundbite in there, too. That's fun. So, fun fact, that guy in that image, mm -hmm. the the... The WoW Basically, player, whatever, yeah, yeah, that is a real guy. It is based off a real guy who was a uh, he worked for Blizzard on WoW, and that guy that is his apartment. That is him. Huh. That he he collaborated with Trey Parker and Matt Stone on that episode. He helped uh, art design. He was the art design manager <laughs> for WoW. All right, I then. found that out the other day. Huh? What huh. something new every yeah, day? Yeah, what fun a fun stuff. fact! Yeah. We bring you tech news and. Various other things. <laughs> so this article, uh, we're pulling this from Slashdot. This one says, 23andMe confirms hackers stole ancestry data on 6.9 million users. Oh, who could have guessed? Who could have predicted <laughs> that this was something that could happen? Oh, boy. Yeah. Where do you, you want to start? All right. You know, there's a couple of things here to, to tackle. Uh, let's just start with the basic facts. Because uh, I, I think we, 
we haven't talked about 23andMe on the podcast, I, I don't think at all. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't remember I, ever saying it. I've always looked at it and thought, <laughs> you got to be nuts to share your DNA with some third-party company and assume something good is going to come out of that. But but plenty of people do it. And if, you, if you're not familiar with them, you must live under a rock. But you can send in a blood sample, and they run a DNA scan test. They look at it and say enhance a lot. Uh, and then they're able to look and determine your genealogy. So mm-hmm. if you're curious, you know, there's a lot of people who say, like, I'm, I'm Irish American. Do, do you really know that? And they, they can find that out. You know, they right. can look at your DNA and, and tell you, and you can figure out exactly what your heritage is and so on. So it's a neat idea. I had a friend of mine who was adopted. And he had no idea what his heritage was. And he got married. He was getting ready to have a kid. And was like, I, I want to know a little bit so I can tell my kids where they're from. So he did 23andMe and found out where he was from. Yeah. Yeah. So it's neat. It is. Now, there, there are people like me that are opposed to doing stuff like that. And my, my reasoning is, uh, not that I think it's criminal, but, you know. A public repository of your DNA. When you think about biometrics. Yeah. Right? If, if somebody gets my password, like if a hacker gets my password... I just change my password. Right. But if somebody gets my thumbprint, I can't change my thumbprint. I mean, I got nine other fingers. I can go on. <laughs> but eventually that runs out. So yeah, you, you, yeah. you hack 10 times. And now you're trying to get your toe yeah, on your yeah, keyboard. Yeah, you're taking a shoe off to yeah. get inside a building. <laughs> so so I'm, I'm more defensive of who I'm going to give biometric data to. And your DNA, in theory, is 100% of your biometric data. Yeah. Like, not today, but in the future... They could, you know, if you have like a retinal scan, that's encoded in your DNA. Your your fingerprints, all of that is in your DNA. So I don't like to share that with anybody. So when I heard about this breach, that was my first thought was, holy crap, did, did somebody just leak DNA data, right? Mm-hmm. And this, this might be the first time that's happened. Well, just to be clear, that did not happen. And what happened is attackers were able to access some accounts, which uh, initially 23andMe announced as about 14,000 accounts, and they were able to get the account data as well as the genealogical information for that account. So, you know, what your heritage, race, whatever, you know, all that information. You can fill out a survey for them, is what you're saying. You you can complete a census report (laughs) with the information that you got, yes. Uh, Maybe not their pay, you know, like their salary, but everything else. Uh, So that's not good. But then... Like we talked about last week, these things have a way of expanding. And it turns out that it's not just those 14,000 users that were affected because 23andMe had a share DNA feature where you could share your DNA with other people, not not the actual DNA, but the findings. So you could actually find long-lost relatives. You find out in your your family tree or whatever that it turns out you were related to somebody you didn't even know it. And and so that's neat and fun. And millions of people did it. And so through these 14,000 compromised accounts, the attackers were then able to access the data of millions. I think it was, was it 6.8 million? Yeah. Okay. Uh, 6, six, six point something, yeah. Six odd million yeah. people uh, and, and their genealog- genealogical information. So uh, not, uh, not good. No, no. Mm-hmm. This is interesting. Like this is a, a, a definitely a different type of breach because of the company uh, and the data that they hold. It's not normal that the, you know a data breach would include may include your DNA. So very cool. Other than that, it just seems to be another uh, welcome to Breachland, 23andMe. We meet on Thursdays. (laughs) Yeah. I'm curious, though, because it, like, okay, if if one of my accounts gets breached, it's it's like my email account or, you know, whatever. They've got my name, maybe. They've got my my address, password, whatever. Maybe they've got contact information or or a physical address for me, and that's obviously not good. In this case, though, you would think, okay, well, so they know, they know my ethnic background, my heritage, whatever, so what? But, there was a, I thought I remembered reading about this a while ago when this was first being talked about that specifically there was like this sample of like a hundred or a million data points that were specifically about Ashkenazi Jews. So they were like targeting based on hmm. the ethnic background. So does that then add another layer of like... Well, I mean, it definitely has possibilities. So let's say I'm a 23andMe subscriber or whatever you call it, right? A user. I submit my my DNA, they do a profile, they hold that information, and now they've been breached. Well, let's say, obviously these are hackers that have done this, black hats that are out there, threat actors that have accessed this. In my mind, they probably are using this for the purposes of targeted phishing, right? Right, I can say, hey, I'm your long lost so-and-so. And we start up and it's like basically a catfish where I say that I'm we're cousins from a distant land and so-and-so, and we start a relationship, and it's like, hey, can you send me a little bit of money? I'm in Ukraine. I'm in a war-torn area. 
that I could really use that money to help us survive. Mm-hmm. And we're, we're related. So all of a sudden you got like a point of contact, you got some trust built in. I might be able to start like bilking you for money or gain access to your system. Who knows? I, I'm, I'm going to send you some pictures of the family from over here. Definitely download and unzip this. And if you get any prompts, just yes, yes, yes. It's because we're in a different area of the world. Yeah. Yeah. You could sell a lot of different social engineering type of things to people because they're ignorant of how these things work. And that's not a pejorative. That just means that they, no, most sure. people don't understand how computers work. We're throwing splash screens up because they yeah. don't, Ooh, scary text on the screen. <laughs> you know, Obviously yeah. you can, you can use that to your advantage if you were an attacker. And then I, I see that being one of the ways they could use it. Okay. All right. Now let's, let's add a little twist to this one because we were, I forget which company we were teasing last week about how they expanded their breach. Oh yeah. Who was it? Was it, uh, was it uh own cloud? Somebody big. No. Because uh, OwnCloud was just bad from the beginning. Okay. Uh, there, there was another one uh, that was a big one where they, they announced a breach and they were like, oh, it only affected a certain amount of users yeah. and they expanded it out. Oh, uh, Okta. Oh, yeah. Uh, Okta. Big. Yeah. And, and so Okta came out and was like, oh, it's actually millions of people. Whoops, our bad. <laughs> uh, in this case, 23andMe went from the 14,000 number to the 6 million number. And a lot of times we don't know what goes on in their minds to mm. make them like expand out like that. In this case, we actually do. Do we really? It's not in the article, uh, but in, in other news feeds, I've picked up on this. So they initially released the the 14,000 users. Okay. And they said, we weren't hacked. It was a credential stuffing attack. Some other website was hacked, and the attackers came to us and were logging in with a username and password that were obtained from some other site. They logged in with valid credentials, and they accessed the right. data. So it's bad. But it's, it's not our fault. That yeah. was the initial stance they came out with. Well, it turns out 23andMe has a user, and that user is named Rob Joyce. Now, if you don't know Rob Joyce, Rob Joyce is the cybersecurity director for the National Security Agency, the NSA. Interesting. <laughs> and, mm. We're about to put Rob Joyce on blast here. <laughs> and Rob Joyce said, wait a minute. You're saying this is credential stuffing. But I use a unique email address on every, every single website I access. Now, yeah. I don't do this because it's crazy. This, this like is hard. Well, I mean, he, he works for the NSA, right? He does. Yep. Makes so, sense. So this is somebody who's going to have the highest security possible. He has a unique email address. I'm not talking about like a plus whatever, but no, an no, actual no. unique email address for every single service he uses so it can't be credential stuffing. Right. How do they know his username? He doesn't use that username anywhere else except on 23andMe. Oh. And so that's when, you know, 23andMe, they were going, whew, thank goodness we dodged the bullets. Credential yeah. stuffing, not our fault. Uh-oh. Well, wait a minute. <laughs> wait a minute. And then they started looking, and that's when they found the problem with the shared DNA stuff. The shared mm. DNA feature not only allowed you to share data between um, 23andMe users, but they also teamed up with another company whose name I've forgotten, Heritage, something Heritage, uh, MyHeritage. So uh, a, a company called MyHeritage. So you could exchange users between them, too, connecting mm. the user bases. And MyHeritage had a breach. Huh. And because 23andMe was sharing your data with MyHeritage, and, and Rob Joy said, yeah, I use that shared DNA service. I thought it would be neat to find out who was on yeah. my family tree. That's how it expanded out, and that's why it bumped up to six million, six plus million, and that's why Twenty Three and Me had to come out and say it because Rob posted on Twitter (laughs) (laughs) or X. He he went out there and said, "Like, hey, um, I use a unique email address personally, Don. Yeah, I've thought about doing that before, but it's a giant pain in the butt. I have a few email accounts for that kind of purposes, so I I basically kind of break it down into categories instead of having." one per service i have one per category and that allows me to sign up or, yeah. and do things that I, i'm like okay dangerous mildly dangerous not so dangerous and like completely benign and or, or like personal personal kind of stuff mm-hmm. i love the idea yeah. I, I like the idea of if i get spam i should be able to if, yeah if i use a different email address for every service i should be able to look at what email address that went to and know who, who sold me you. out yeah you know who, who sold me out onto that list yeah uh, and with password managers it's making it a lot easier to do that yeah right it's just the sign up process that becomes kind of a pain well, so my problem there mm-hmm. is so like I, I use office 365 yeah. for my personal email and with that you have plus addresses right right so let's say i'm not going to say my personal email <laughs> on on the air but uh so let's just say it's don Pizzette at outlook.com uh, which it doesn't, but <laughs> if, it doesn't. if it were, 
I can do Dom Pizet plus uh, Facebook right. at Outlook.com and Dom Pizet plus MySpace, whatever, right? Yeah. Well, attackers know anything after the plus, just chop that off, and this is their base email address, right? right. So it, it's not really effective. Right. But it's it, more it's more organizational for the user. If they gave me some way to generate a unique, like give, give me a freaking GUID, right? It's not like I'm ever going to type right. it. It's going in the it. password manager. Yeah. yeah so a 128 bit username, I don't care. <laughs> <laughs> and throw it in there. Uh, I I would do that in a heartbeat. But there's yeah. there's not, to my knowledge, it's not a good service that does that. That doesn't require me to host my email with them, right. which I don't want to do. So maybe one day somebody will have a service like that. Yeah, that'd be cool. Well, I mean, yeah, it, it seems like with something like this, it was only a matter of time before this kind of issue happened when you've got all these people sharing their genetic information. So it, it's unfortunate, um, but hopefully nothing too terrible comes of it. And if you get an email saying, hey, I'm your long-lost cousin, send me some money, maybe maybe just double-check that. Yes. Send that you. money to DomPazetteOutlook.com. <laughs> <laughs> if you think that, the, that there's a Nigerian prince that's your like long-lost aunt, uncle. I wonder how, like... <laughs> Uh, I mean, the odds are there is a Nigerian prince that has, that has a yeah. lot right? <laughs> and he's going to reach out and yeah. be like, I don't understand. My family's just based, abandoned and, me. And based off of that infinitesimally small percentage of probability that that could happen, people have been scammed for years. Yeah. <laughs> and, and just to help fight fraud here, if, if you ever get a message from me requesting funds, just know that I, I only accept funds via PayPal, Venmo, right. Zelle. He'll take Bitcoin. Uh, yeah. I accept Bitcoin. I accept, yeah. I accept Apple gift cards. It, it'll yeah. be in, in one of those currencies, and, and as long as it's one of those currencies, it's fine. Send yeah, it's it. all good. Only $900 <laughs> Apple gift cards, iTunes gift cards. That's all we accept here on Technado. You heard That's it here it. first. I, I was hoping Don would start paying me in Apple gift cards. Cut out the middleman. Well, then the government doesn't know about it. Yeah, I'm buying everything with gift cards. You can't buy a sandwich with an Apple gift card. You sure can. Can you? Yeah, because you could load it up to like a Visa. Right? Can I could, you? I could, I could take that Apple gift card and buy Visa gift cards with it. Oh, I thought you had to use it at like the Apple Store. No, no, you can use oh. them anywhere. The gift cards, bro. All right, well, it's branched out. Oh. Yeah. Hmm. Interesting. Maybe don't do that, but you know, <laughs> <laughs> you could. Doesn't mean that you should. Even if that's not true, you can still use like send me the gift card I can use. Yeah. yeah. Right. Yep. It's gift cards. Well, if you think you're going to start paying your employees in Apple gift cards, let us know down below. We'd love to see how that works out for you. Let us know, but don't let the IRS know. You yeah. want to keep that and on Even the if DL. it is only Apple, I could buy an iPad and then sell it and make some money. There you go. Yeah, right? Yeah. We have to add a scrolling disclaimer to the bottom of this episode. Like, <laughs> we do not condone No, we do not. We do not. This is all for comedy purposes. Yeah. Don't, don't kill your neighbor. You know, that, that whole thing. Yeah. Oh, man. Yeah. I didn't know that. You're not supposed to kill people. We're not. No, not supposed to kill them. Not Against to, the yeah. law. Yeah, there's a lot of. Yeah. <laughs> I like the. the I like the, the Zoom. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Sponsored by. Yeah, I didn't buy that yeah. with Apple gift cards, by the yeah. way. <laughs> you don't have to illegally purchase an iPad. You can just enter our competition. That's true. Uh, yeah, our, and win yeah. one. And actually, I guess it is kind of a, a contest because I believe we're going to have some trivia. That it's not hmm. just like, uh, hey, put your name in the hat. It's like, you've got to actually come armed with some knowledge. And I think. Yes. Is, is Mimi Cat's going to be on there? Yes, Maybe. you're going to have to define it in 10 words or less, uh, and you have 30 seconds to do it, and we'll play the Jeopardy music. Uh, but no, you're going to have to answer some holiday trivia, holiday movie trivia mm -hmm. specifically. Now, I don't know if we're going to limit that to like The Grinch and It's a Wonderful Life and Elf, or if we're going to throw in the diehards and goodfellows of the world. We will just have to see, um, and you'll just have to show up if you want to find out. Uh, what kind of trivia we're going to be using? And you got a lot of you got a lot of stuff to start watching if you're a lot of material. If you're not doing that, yeah, now. join the club. All right, yeah. I've got a list a mile long, so I have no sympathy. Look how Caleb <laughs> randomly jumped to my screen. <laughs> I'm like, why am I on the screen? <laughs> our uh, our director says that he will allow one good fellas question and one diehard, okay. and that's it. That's okay. all we get. But you'll just have to tune in to find out if that's true or not. But yes, that will be December 12th at 2 p.m. So tune in for that. It's going to be live, and and Don and Dan and I will all be here along with the rest of the ACI Learning Entertainers. It's going to be a lot of fun. We are really looking forward to it. Uh, some other things coming up. I know we had a, uh, a webinar last week with Bo Bullock. That was a lot of fun. So if you missed that, you can the check that out. The way you said that sounded like Bobola. <laughs> oh, Bobola. Bobola was we're, on. That's my nickname for him. Yeah. We're best friends. Bobola. So we, you know, we're, we're tight like that. Yeah. We're, on a, we're on a nickname basis. No, Bo, Bo Bullock. I'm sorry. Or Bullock. How, would you, how do you pronounce that? Is it? How Bullock. Bullock. Yeah. So yeah. I had it right the first time. Yeah. 
Yeah. It just, just you ran it together so fast. He's just making me doubt myself. I, I, <laughs> well, if you want to see us games. <laughs> talk to him and pronounce his name correctly, that's uh, that lives here on the YouTube Hold channel. On, he's so texting me right now. Can, <laughs> 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 he's mad. I'm gonna get sued. It's like, oh, he is pissed. <laughs> Defamation. <laughs> so you can check that out. It was a whole lot of fun. Check out the uh, questions that we got, uh, and we, we'll have more of those coming up in the new year. I think we're gonna aim for having one every month. So yep. that's going to be a lot of fun. We also had a webinar. Uh, I think John Hammond is our next one. I think in so. January. Yep. So it's gonna be a lot of fun. It'll be like a third. Time on the show, I think. I'm pretty sure. No, I think it's more than that. More than that? Yeah. John, John time is on a, this show specifically, I mean. On all things cyber. All things cyber? I think it's more. Oh. Yeah. What a regular. Yeah. Time's, time's not real. I don't know. I could I don't. be wrong, but. <laughs> time's an illusion. <laughs> time's an illusion. Death is with a doorway. <laughs> and the, I'll, and be I'll be back. <laughs> <laughs> of course, we've got other webinars as well. We have one this week that was, uh, was an audit webinar. So if you're interested in that, go ahead and check that out. That's going to live on this channel as well. Uh, some other things coming up. I think it's it's mostly going to be in the new year other than that giveaway. Um, but of course, you can check out Technado here every week on Thursday. Check out all the uh, episodes in the past that you might have missed here on the channel. And if you're listening on a podcast platform like Spotify or Apple Podcasts, you can listen to all those old episodes as well. Leave a comment down below if you enjoyed this episode maybe drop a like subscribe if you haven't already so you never miss an episode and i think that is pretty much going to do it for my spiel did i did i talk too fast I, I was, I to... did you take a breath <laughs> <laughs> i'm an auctioneer on the weekends yeah. daniel you know this all right well, you got a webinar coming that's all gonna be on it <laughs> <laughs> well i think that is gonna do it then obviously there's there's nothing left to add so thank you so much for joining us for this episode of technado one more thing just kidding <laughs> you know mind games Mind games. Everybody reach under your chair. <laughs> <laughs> Would you like to play a game? <laughs> I need to go. I need to go. Uh, yeah. <laughs> I need to go calm down. We're going to go ahead and end it there. Have a great week. We'll see you next time. Bye. <laughs>